This is Coda Radio, episode 232 for November 21st, 2016. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, who's been perched at the microphone all weekend long, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Happy birthday, Virginia is for lovers, and birthdays are for humans. All right, everybody, that's the end of the show. We'll see you next week. Uh, Bye, guys. Pleasure. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Dominic. You know, when I when I get a note from you, like, uh, what was it, early Sunday, hey, you might want to check out the doc. I'm like, oh, boy, he's on about something this week. He's on. Oh, about this doc isn't so bad. No, I love it. No, don't don't take me the wrong way. I just means I just love that. It means you know you've been chewing on something. Usually it means you've been chewing on it for a while, or it's something that's been going on for a while. And now it's like okay, now it's time to talk about it. I kind of feel like well, that's where we're at. You know, I also missed you for a week. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I forgot that we were we in t- in space and time. There was a duplicate us that did the show, but you and I actually didn't do that show. You were on you- vacay. I was on vacay. You you could tell it was a duplicate because they had goatees. Yep, yep, yep. That is true. And there was a torture chamber. So mm-hmm. um, first of all, while I guess we should say I was gone at Meet BSD in Berkeley, California, and uh, you decided to take a little time with the family. Correct? It was like a family of event. It I was, was a family vacation at Disney World. Yes. Oh, that's adorable. It's adorable. So uh, did you did you get in the position where where the way you so here's how this would if it was me Mike this is how this would have gone down I'm gonna go on this trip but I'm gonna get a little bit of work done so that way it's not a 100 percent loss of productivity it's more like a it's like a 85 percent loss of productivity but there's still like I'm clinging on to like 15 20 percent I'm I'm banging things out on the laptop and the phone was that your situation or was this a clean cut Mike's not working for a few days. Uh, you know, it was about 90, 10. Uh, I, I really didn't do a lot of work, but I did that work on the lemur. Oh, really? Oh, oh, yeah. a little leader. Do we, can we do a little lemur follow up here? We can because the, the people demand lemur follow up. <laughs> OK, so last we chatted a couple of weeks ago, trackpad issues were kind of abound, I think. Right. Yeah. That was the, yeah. was that the primary concern or was there another issue, too? I don't know. Uh, it, primarily the trackpad. I mean, uh, and the onboard audio isn't very good. But yeah, basically yeah. the trackpad. Yeah, the, you know, yeah, that is a the 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 small laptops are universally pretty bad at the at the small audio. I think the MacBooks get it pretty good. Uh, they're bigger, like they're bigger laptops. Some of them have subwoofers in them. That's I mean, it's a yeah. pretty big leap. But so how how did the work on the road go with the lemur? You know, not bad actually. Uh, I ended up getting used to the trackpad, which is kind of hilarious. It it wasn't bad at all. I mean, there was some screen washout and sunlight, which was a little annoying. Uh, but all in all, I was actually fairly happy with it. What, are you it. using this thing like on the beach? Uh, on a balcony, yeah. Does it have a matte display? It does have a matte display. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it, it was. it was actually very good. I mean... You know, what was less good is when I got searched by the TSA and uh, I forgot to get my driver's license back from the guard. Hello, that everybody. Was less good. Oh, that does suck. Yeah. So then I had to go to DMV and try to get a new license, which you can imagine. So this was yeah. your – just want to just want to paint the picture. This was your only machine while you are on the road. Oh, well, it was that and an iPhone 7. Mm. That's it. Now, did you, have, uh, did you have any, like, work that you weren't able to get done on it? Anything that came up that was – you know, a showstopper. You know, right now, I'm in the fourth quarter blues. Right, we're not. We we just had a major project wind down. It's Thanksgiving week. We don't have anything really big starting for a little while. So I was actually doing a little bit of first party work that we've actually decided to rewrite natively for reasons that we'll hmm. discuss on a different episode. Hmm. 
I saw you tweet about LibreOffice on the on the lemur. Not to make this like yeah. gruelingly awful, but how is that boring business stuff that you got to use your work computer for going? Uh, boring. Yeah, although in that case, I was actually grading the uh, congressional app submissions for my district, so oh. that wasn't terrible. Whoa, a lot of lot of good work. Whoa, but yeah, whoa. You know those new MacBooks are selling pretty well. Of course, that's not too yeah. surprised if you don't update them forever. Well, if you make people wait 200 years. There's, there's going to be some pent-up demand. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Any you regrets, know, was, though, at this point? You know, there is a scary scenario because we are we are a little slow right now. Again, it's a cyclical thing with the fourth quarter that happens – has literally been happening for eight years. Um, where if I got a giant native Swift or iOS project, I would have to take it and could not do it at all on the lemur. So I'd have to bust out the old, fairly unreliable, unstable MacBook Pro. Mm. Uh, you know, listeners will remember one of the reasons I wanted to replace the MacBook Pro was that it kernel panics fairly frequently. Yeah, that's 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 discouraging. So <laughs> I'm I, I'm slightly scared that I could end up in a position of, would you like to be able to bill some hours this month because you need to go buy a Mac? Like that would be bad. Um. You know, I've made a bet on Ionic and on Hybrid and a little bit of React. So I'm hoping that things go that way and not mm. back towards the native. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're, of course, I mean, with anything else, right? Best laid plans of my Menders. Obviously, market forces, if the wind blows towards the native, I would have to do something about that. Hmm. But in terms of like Android development, in terms of everything but native iOS development, it's fantastic. You know, I will just give a plug here just for a moment, and then we'll move off the, the laptop thing if you want. But uh, I've been, you know, I've shared my concerns about about my some of my workflow still requiring macOS, specifically when I'm editing. Um, and I've just got done doing a series of actually now eight videos from my trip where I, where I was gone last week, and they were all they were all edited under Final Cut. And it was pretty essential to that workflow. And I really kind of discovered like, okay, this is a tool that I'm going to be at least keeping around on some frequent occasion. And I kind of got bummed about that because I really don't like being locked into that platform and I, I et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, you know, I, I guess I don't think I pay enough attention to the fact that uh, it's, gotten, it's gotten better. It's not flawless. And I'm not sure I'm going to recommend it for you because, it, you know, if you want something more appliance level, it's not quite there for the most right. part. But I've been I, – I have, I have been using Linux on my MacBook now for several months – Really successfully. Uh, in fact, um, <clears throat> last night it was perfect because I had several SD cards, hundred and twenty, several like three, hundred and twenty-eight gig SD cards, totally full. Nice. And I needed to copy them over to my NAS. And under nice. under uh, and I have a MacBook 2013 Pro, and it doesn't have an Ethernet port. It has two Thunderbolt ports, but it doesn't have Ethernet. And I, I don't have a Thunderbolt Ethernet adapter. Back then they were like $60. Now they're $30. Um, but I do have a USB 3.0 Ethernet adapter, which just simply does not work under Mac OS X. There's no driver for it. I can plug it in and Mac OS never sees it. However, on that same computer, I don't have to remove anything else. I reboot into Arch Linux. It has a driver for that Ethernet card. It can read the HFS file system or the FAT file system, depending on where I'm copying from. And it can copy it over to the NAS at 99 megabytes a second versus 8 megabytes a second. And that is very, it's a very functional tool for me, workflow-wise, to have both macOS and Linux on this one machine. Much like I think many years ago a lot of people, and some, some many still do, dual-booted Windows and Linux for a couple of things. I reboot into Final Cut, or, or the Mac, I guess, I, but I reboot to use Final Cut. I use Final Cut, and now we even like some of the tidying up and, and transferring data around. I, I find myself rebooting into Linux and then mounting the Mac partitions and then managing yeah, the files that way. Yeah, I used to do a Windows Linux reboot, uh, dual boot rather, back in the day. That was exactly like anything work-related was on Linux. And Yeah. Yeah. So so I think the problem I have, to be honest with you, with my MacBook Pro is, is the motherboard is going, or I'm sorry, mm-hmm. the logic board is going. <laughs> yeah. And the repair on that is just not uh, just not worth it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that I don't want to get off on that tangent here, right? But but it is a weird position that like any iOS deal I were to get now has a $2,000 acquisition cost. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> you know, that's kind of that's the cost of doing that business. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, in addition to any like commission or referral or anything else, I'd have to pay sure. on it. It's uh, that really. Uh, it really makes it less attractive, actually, unless it's non-native, like I'm using the Ionic platform to deploy iOS apps via their deployment system. Yeah. Um, I look yeah, at it I, as I, like, here's a, this camera, you know, any camera that's decent is over $1,000. So here's $1,500 for the camera plus lens uh, and a tripod and a battery. And then here's here it's going to be twenty five, twenty eight hundred dollars for the computer that edits the footage that this camera shoots. I, I wouldn't look at it so much as like a. And just in your case, here's the here's the MacBook I have to buy to do this client. And then you have to look at the cost of acquisition of that hardware versus the overall revenue you're going to make from the client in the first place, and make sure you actually even come out ahead, which is always a tricky proposition to begin with. Well, because you mean. Again, you never, you, mean, you always, day. you never know you never what's know going to happen, P&L, right? With scope or yes, any exactly, or anything yeah, like that, yeah. And yeah, then so where that two thousand, three thousand dollar pad, all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah, that's that's really tough. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to beat the MacBook Pro horse. Obviously, it's selling well, but I, I just for shits and giggles configured one this morning to look at it, and basically, like table stakes are is two grand for me, and that's just yeah. horrible. Yeah. And that's just like really not um, – unless I had like somebody standing here with a check in hand ready to go. Yeah. I, Especially I when the lemur for yeah. much, much, much less is doing the work. It just doesn't do that particular kind of work. Man, wouldn't it be well, great I, if I Apple opened that up? Well, we just, you know, we just graduated uh, our last customer who was a native iOS customer. You know, they're hiring their own employees. They're doing the whole thing. They were a startup. So we don't have any native iOS in-house right now at all. Mm. it's all android and hybrid so it's kind of like i don't know you know the four you don't i mean you can speak to this from your own experience but closing a sale in the fourth quarter is just not something that tends to happen <laughs> no and especially especially if they have any kind of like budgeting stuff that they do at the end of the year because they've already got it locked in by now because it's holidays right. ho- once once holidays. thanksgiving hits it's holidays 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 it's company party it's yeah, vacation. Yeah, the name of the, the name of the game is conserve right now, right? It's mm-hmm. it's just tighten that belt and but you know who's not conserving, Chris? Who's that? Microsoft. Tell me. They have released Visual Studio. Oh, really? Okay. And are but, you are you fired up about this? Uh, I was until I read the rest of the article. Oh, really? What? Tell me. <laughs> it's it's just Xamarin Studio. Oh, of course. Or this were. I mean, we yeah. we expected this to happen after the acquisition. I, I I did not expect them to necessarily rebrand Xamarin Studio as Visual Studio. Really? I mean, yeah, I, why would, well, I mean, they were they were going to leave it as a separate product? Did you think? Well, but Visual Studio is good, and Xamarin Studios, Xamarin. I mean, ooh, too much, too much. Are you ooh. say? Are are you saying what what was Visual Studio before this is now only? Wrong. I'm, no, wrong. Okay. So the was girl, I was calling, getting, girl, I was about to get real verklempt. What they're calling Visual Studio for Mac appears to be, and according to pretty much every publication, is a reskinned Xamarin Studio. Yeah, that doesn't surprise. It is not a rewrite or a port of Visual Studio. Mm-hmm. So my my thing is Visual Studio. You know, the big IDE you run on Windows is actually you know a great IDE. Yeah, that's and Xamarin that's, Studio is yeah, not what you want. I mean, maybe yeah, not not what. You, I mean, yeah, I mean, can I interest you in in JetBrains' Project Writer? Because mm-hmm. that, that's a good idea. So I guess that's use. that's the Mac that's the Mac desktop's uh, answer for Microsoft. Are you ever going to move Visual Studio over to the Mac? The answer is no. Well, presumably they're going to like augment this version. Oh of Visual yeah, Studio. for sure. Yeah. Oh and yeah. It, yeah. They're good at that. Yeah. So, it should be fine, right? <laughs> but, you know, I'm in Florida. I'm on one of the magical Disney buses, and i just browsing my phone as the kid's asleep, looking, and I'm like, wait, Visual Studio for Mac? And I'm like, whoa. This is huge. Then I scroll down two paragraphs. Oh. I feel like that would be like Bash on Windows Big. It's the same kind of like, wow, this I is going to enable bash. a whole bunch of people to work on the Mac. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like Bash on Windows is actually a, a much more useful thing hmm. because, like, Xamarin Studio already exists, and it's not good. 
Maybe Microsoft realizes anybody that's going to do serious work is no longer buying a Mac. Oh, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I should really stop. I know people hate it, but oh man, 16 gigs of RAM. Give me a break. Damn, you know, you know, I, go. You didn't mention the keyboard yet. I mean, would you like to mention the keyboard? I haven't tried it. I don't know. I haven't tried it. Uh, I, I haven't touched one yet. I just know my existing workload needs more than 16 gigs of RAM. So I'm hang on, Chris. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit my escape key. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right, Mr. Dominic. Let's take a minute and thank Linux Academy for sponsoring this week's episode of the Coder Radio Program. LinuxAcademy.com/slash/coders is where you go. This is a platform not just to teach you about the essentials of Linux and, of course, the advanced topics, but all of the great technology built on top of Linux that you can monetize, you can use in your career, or you can build an app around. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. They have examples. You can go in there. They have, like, specific tracks. So here's an idea of this is maybe, like, a specific career tax, uh, track you want to take. You go in there and follow this track through the different steps to learn all about the nitty-gritty details of that particular industry and the technologies involved, things like OpenStack or AWS or uh, Azure now or Ruby, Python, and even things that are like, you know, those dirty system administration tools, you know, low-level stuff that you developers don't have to worry about. Oh, I'm just kidding. They also have note cards, which are really cool decks of cards that can be forked by the community and improved. They have hands-on scenario-based labs. They give you experience on real servers, and they have a seven-day free trial. When you go to linuxacademy.com slash coders, you support the show, and you can sign up for a seven-day free trial. If certifications are a priority for you, they also have courses created specifically to prepare you for exams. And that's nice because when you pair that with the hands-on scenario-based labs, I think the combination is particularly good at solving exam anxiety. I, I I do not test well. I I have taken several certifications, gotten them some, some way back in the day. Citrix Metaframe, <laughs> I had to take it twice. Uh, I got the Windows NT Systems Administration certification, whatever that was called, back in the NT4 days. Had to take it twice. I just don't I don't test well. I don't I don't do the fake scenarios very well. So getting in there, getting that, getting the labs, taking the sort of the cert training courses where I go in there and say I'm going for this specific certification to prepare for it. It is so nice to have the combination because it takes off that pressure. And then when I'm busy, they have things that will schedule around my availability and generate content around that. And they have nuggets, little sparkly bits of wisdom where you can do a deep dive into a single topic. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Lots of different ways to get value for your membership at LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So, Mr. Dominic, I noticed we have a couple of interesting little tiddly bits here that are linked in the show notes. The The big fish eats the small fish. And I went there and I saw myself a paste bin dump. And I thought, okay, this must be a heck of a story. So what am I looking at here? What is this? Well, that's an email we got in uh, while I was on vacation. This is feedback on our show, I think, from two weeks ago, where these fo- uh, we were talking about agile stand-ups. Mm, do you want me to read it? Go ahead. He says several, or she, uh, says several, many of the key members have now quit. We have now weekly meetings with our manager in Georgia. We're in Los Angeles. Our manager wants, to update, wants updates on our projects. As you mentioned, no one, but no one, speaks frankly. We all say what we think our manager wants to hear. We meet in the conference room with the speakerphone. When the manager is talking, we put it on mute, and between ourselves, we speak frankly regarding our reactions to her suggestions. As you did, I break down into small steps what I'm doing. The manager also wanted a minute-by-minute how we spend our time. I explained on the forum that the live time, that the time varies... I bet the time varies and thus refuse to answer her specific questionnaire. Thanks. P.S. Comfort food during stressful times. (laughs) That's uh, that's a good coping one, too. Uh, And go for walks. Uh, So this is, you know, man, the 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 picture that is painted when when with the phone on the table and they put it on mute while the person's going for a while. I have been in those meetings i'm habitually in those meetings uh so the reason i put this one in the show notes out of the several we got on this topic was it reminded me of a conversation i had 
I think right when I came back on, well, I came back Friday night, but I, I had a lunch with somebody on Saturday mm. and this is secondhand, but he told me he was talking to another guy who was in the software space and the guy made the argument that agile has destroyed software development by forcing people to ship small incremental code changes as quickly as possible with no concern for upfront architecture. Now, I, I hope I'm quoting him right, but I mean, the gist is still the same, right? The focus on quick iteration over architectural, uh, you know, design. What I found really interesting is while I was on vacation, I read a book on uh, uh, continuous integration and, um, uh, what the hell is it? Not BDD. Um, DevOps. DevOps. Which is exactly the opposite philosophy, right? That you should ship as much as possible. And I'm reading this book, and I'm reading this book, and I'm reading this book, Chris. Yeah, okay. And every chapter, I sit and I think about what it says, and it's on Kindle, so I kind of just let it fade. And I say, well, that's great if you have, if you are not a consultant and you have an unlimited budget. I actually sort of agree with my my friend's kind of crazy statement about Agile, which is weird because I still think like Agile time and materials are the only way to get a good, um, you know, a good outcome. But I think there's such a thing as overkill, right? There's such a thing as, you know what, you do need a plan of action for the project. You do need a design doc. You do need a spec of record, which are all very waterfall sort of things to want. And maybe you shouldn't grade people on how many times they deploy to production. Maybe you should only deploy to production when it's, you know, safe to do so. And, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this book and it keeps going on and on and on about Scrum and how Scrum is great for transparency. And I'm thinking, what Scrum has this guy ever been in that it was transparent? Maybe at Google, maybe at Facebook, maybe at Microsoft. Sure, right? But every Scrum I've been in has been a placate the manager or cover your ass exercise. I can't, like, think of a Scrum that actually pushed things forward. And in terms of the whole DevOps thing, I think there's obviously a, a lot of like good ideas there. But you must have an unlimited budget. <laughs> I mean, you, you're writing all these specific tools for the one project? Really? You know, you're, see, you're, you're, you're getting so close, Mike, but you just you haven't seen the light quite yet. Show me the light, my lord. Show me the light. This is, this is the problem with groups of people and i believe it is i believe when you get to a certain size it is just simply unavoidable it's human nature and it's the problem where certain size shops if they don't break off and pair up into smaller groups become totally ineffectual so the issue here is it's a real it's it's a it's it there's there's a lot of factors but a couple of strong ones are justification of each individual's existence deferral of blame and overall making sure everyone's on the same page so that way we can all say, well, if it didn't work out, at least we all made the same decision. And so this is part of the blame deferral. And it doesn't – it's not about money so much. It's about the fact that you can't have this level of intersocial dynamics unless you have enough money to pay for that many people. And when you generally can afford to have that many staff, you can afford to waste money on other things as well. I think it's, I think it's a flaw – of a, of a group of hairless monkeys working together, and I think the only way to avoid it is small micro teams or independent smaller companies. And that's why small little scrappy startups can often create huge disruption and innovation, and large companies generally just stay the course and iterate because it's this inherent problem with large groups of people working together especially when it's such a cognitive task when it's not a manual labor but when it's a cognitive task and many of the people are not actually aware of the cognitive responsibilities of that task they don't actually understand or have insights into how the work is done and so they are just left still 
they have to find a way to justify their, their existence, their paycheck, and their contribution. And they, but they can't do it on a technical level that actually contributes to the end result. So they have to do it to the ceremony and the structure around the work. Okay. You know what? You're ranting. Can I rant? Yeah, go for it, brother. I'm, I'm done. I have, I have two different avenues. I'm going to hit it from the land and the sea. Here goes the land. I think all this DevOps crap is a really, really good idea, but it's like saffron. You should only use very, very little of it. By the way, we're brought to uh, you by Sam Adams Winter Lager. <laughs> I to mention it at the top of the show. Um, you know, testing, great idea. 100% test coverage, probably overkill and a waste of money, in my opinion. But I'm going to take it a step further. Is it possible, Chris, that people are aggressively pushing this stuff because it is a very good way to either ding other vendors and audits when you know the other vendor was budget constrained and you know what's the first thing you're not going to do? Unit testing, right? Yeah. What's, you know, what am I going to drop? Documentation. Like, obviously, if I'm running out of money on budget, I'm not going to worry about that. Um. And also, like, is this like that alpha geek? We talked about it in shows past, kind of masturbatorial, you know, remember we used to make fun of the Ruby guys for the, oh, the beauty of the code, like that sort of thing. But let me hit it further. One flaw in the argument of the author was that he's talking about projects that last two, three years. What about projects that last like uh, 60 days, 90 days? Is it worth doing all this stuff of, uh, you know, all this testing, test first development, uh, you know, really focusing in and writing automated deployment scripts? Because in reality, if you're a startup or you're writing someone a prototype or frankly, you're only on a project for 90 days, it's why would you do that? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. But let's take the startup case. You need to validate your startup. You don't. You know what? If the servers go down, you're a startup. Bring them back up. SSH into that bad boy. You don't need to worry. And when I say if you're a startup, I mean like you're a pre, you know, uh, seed funded, not Series A. Once you're at that point, you probably want to kind of clean things up a bit. But the point is to get there fast. And I feel like a lot of this stuff is makes a lot of sense in the enterprise space, yes. which is where these authors it's, are talking. It's trapezes. It's, it's, it, is, it is a structure to facilitate clear communications when they can't normally take place. But if, it is a small, right. if it's a small shop dealing with a small shop, the barrier to communication to direct a uh, person who expects result and person who is creating thing, that barrier is very low typically. And so I think when you have that kind of arrangement – all that stuff is just ceremony that adds to cost. Well, I, I'd even add though, like it's a fundamental misunderstanding or over-application of the concept of technical debt, right? These p- people are saying, you know, technical debt is bad. Anything that requires manual intervention is bad. And that's obviously a true statement. But if you only have, let's say, $20,000 to get your project off the ground, and you are sure that either you're a startup and you'll get you know, million dollars of investment or you're a company that, you know, this in six months, this product will pay for itself in spades. Well, then it's actually totally rational to rack up a bunch of technical debt, do things the quick and dirty way, just get it done, get it shipped, get it out there. And then when you're, when you've got that VC's million dollars, go ahead and fix it, right? (laughs) Because if you're worried about doing it perfect from the jump from your, for your minimum viable product. Minimum functional product. <laughs> right. You are going to be screwed. You're never – your funding needs to be much higher. And frankly, you know what? If, if no one downloads your app or uses your web service, all those unit tests were a waste of time. Because – and I, and I – and this is a hill I've died on before and I'm willing to fight on again. No one has been able to prove to me empirically – that unit tests actually save you time in the long run. I'm not talking about test first unit tests here. No one has been able to prove that. Mm. Code radio at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Yes, please. All right, that's it. I, you know what? Because I know I can feel the email. I, I can feel the Geary clients. Let's be honest, Outlook clients firing up here. <sighs> Stupid Rubius. Anyway. 
good reading the chair. I was like, wait, it's not, it's not bad. It's not that I'm not fancy. It just doesn't make my brain hurt. That's not, that's all. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, so uh, uh, did I hear you mention that people can read uh, some of your thoughts at dominicm.com on this to do? They can. They can. I think, uh, I think and it's actually sort of a related topic. Yeah. Yeah. We have it linked in the show notes. Do you want to dig into that? Yeah. Let's dig into it. So uh, this was posted doo, 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 two days ago, I believe. Yeah, it was written on the yeah. plane and posted when I got back. I mean, I'm yep. constantly refreshing your Twitter feed, so I, I lose track because yeah, I'm, you know. I, I tweet all the time, mm. yeah. So tell me about this because it kind of feels like this is in the same lane of thinking. So, you know, we've talked a lot about scoping issues on development contracts. We've talked a lot about, like, you know, just issues like the customer decides he wants you to build him a rocket ship for $500 <laughs> and a pack of juicy fruit. yes. Uh, particularly in the past, we talked about that a lot. And as you might imagine, people are crazy at Disney World. Like they're really poorly behaved because, you know, they spent a lot of money to get there and they're there with their kids. And not only do they feel entitled, but they feel that their kids are entitled. So they act badly. Well, Disney has invented something called the Fast Pass. Are you are you familiar with this at all? This is is this kind of like you buy a Master Pass for like a set amount of money, and it gives you access to a big part of the park? No. Uh, so a Fast Pass is okay. Let me, let me take another one. Is do you get unlimited Disney movies streamed to no. your iOS device on Tuesdays? No. Hmm. Okay. That's something you want? No, no. <laughs> I just sound like something stupid they do. <laughs> No, this is actually genius. So when you buy your park ticket, apparently, or if you're staying on the resort, you get X number. I don't know what X is, but you get X number of fast passes. And these are digital reservations for rides and attractions. Oh, okay. And it's just like a restaurant reservation. So every member in your party gets the same amount. And you can book a fast pass for for a ride at a certain time. So you get one for you know, space bound, right? Okay. You book it for three o'clock, you show up at three instead of waiting an hour and a half or whatever for space Mountain, you're probably waiting five minutes because there's a separate line for the fast pass people and you're right in, you're on your ride. Genius. And it's all digital. There's a beautiful app. They did a great job here. So you have, but you have the pressure of showing up on time. Like you, like if you, if you schedule you, your ride, you got to make it there at that time. Uh, you can cancel them, I believe, and okay. move them sure. if you need to. Okay. As long as you do it before the fact. But, you know, Disney is using all these RFID chips, and they call them the magic bands. They're effectively wristbands with RFID chips. And you know what the problem with widespread RFID is, Chris? Uh, some percentage of these bands fail some percentage of the time. And people get a little mad when things like that happen. Mm-hmm. How does this all tie in? Well, do you know what Disney does when you're mad about something now? They, the girl whips out her iPad, scans your band, beep, boop, boop, gives you a couple fast passes for any ride you want oh. to use at your discretion. How much do you think that costs Disney? I don't know what the time is on the equipment, but not much. I mean, all that's happening. Nothing. Right. I mean, effectively zero. Once the software was written, yeah. the... The iterative cost is is uh, or incremental cost rather is yeah, nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the cost of goods on the fast pass is absolutely nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. It's a digital thing. It's not real. I saw them defuse some really interesting problems just by whipping out an iPad and going boop boop beep fast pass. And I got to thinking about well, before the fast passes, what would they do? And I asked my wife, who's a big Disney fan. She said, oh, they might give your kid a toy or they might comp part of your dinner. So I was thinking, wait a minute. They used to actually take a loss on materials previously. Now all they do is whip out an iPad and give you fast passes. Right. What an ingenious thing. It's like the in-app purchase where once – I mean it doesn't cost them anything to do it. Other than the time on the rides is probably a valuable commodity to some degree. But – Maybe, right? I mean, I'm sure and some like – It's not a big um, – yeah, yeah. Right. I mean yeah. these are sub-penny numbers we're talking about. <laughs> They've bought the equipment. They have the people that are already there working. You yeah. know, that ride's going to run no matter if you're on it or not. So yeah. I, I'm not yeah. sure I buy that. But Yeah, I agree. Okay. It's just a possibility. But yeah, that is – it's so it's so brilliant because it takes something that right. was a cost center before 
and makes it a non-issue and it still satisfies the customer just as much. Oh, and these are all like interns, right? These are teenage girls using all these tablets. So it's not like they're paying these people a lot of money either. I got to thinking about, you know, we've had people write in, we've talked about scope creep on contracts, all these things. But wouldn't it be amazing if software developers had some sort of fast pass, some sort of thing that was zero material cost to the firm, to the development shop or the developer himself, but was disproportionately valuable to the client, right? Because the reality is the fast pass is actually super valuable to the guest at Disney because it saves you literally an hour of time in most cases. Which, you know, time there is very I, – I, if you work it out, it's like 20 bucks an hour or something. They've, I mean legitimately, Mike, they've taken the I'm going to buy more gems for this uh, uh, free but in-app purchase game so I, that way I can, I can mine this thing. They've, they've taken that mentality and applied it to a real-world business because just like it, for the in-app purchase, it costs, it costs the software developer nothing for you to buy another pack of gems. They're happy to give it to you. And they still make a profit. Now, they are, it costs them nothing to give you a fast pass. They're happy to give it to you. The customer absolutely wants it. But how does that translate to software development? Uh, the only thing you could really trade on a commodity like that would be time, right? Which has a cost, right? Because yeah. you or your employees have a bill rate, and that's you know, and then you have an internal bill rate to your firm. I don't have an answer to this, right? Because, you know, we talked about this before. I mean, how many times, Chris, have people written in saying, and I ended up doing like a day's worth of free work so this guy wouldn't sue me, <laughs> right? Like there's all this kind of like crazy, you know, the reality is software projects are super complicated. And if you do X projects in a year, some percentage of X are going to have some sort of issue or fail in some way. Now, a failure could be two builds relate and the client through a hissy fit. But even like you dealing with them, is a cost if you're not billing it. I I don't understand really how as an industry we haven't developed something like this. We could you know, let's they call it the fast pass, but we may as well call it placebo candy. Mm. Right? It's it's just like, oh, are you happy now? Great, go away. Cause really, you can't guarantee deployments. I mean how I, I can't tell you how many times a bill has been a day off, two days off, whatever. Wouldn't it be great if you could just hand the client something that costs nothing and you stop the issue right there? And let's take it a step further. What if you could do this as a, you know, Disney does it as a way to deal with uh, effectively customer service issues. Well, why not take it further and say, hey, if you sign a contract, like it's the fourth quarter, fourth quarter is always hard for me. If you sign a contract and put down a uh, initial payment before December 15th, you know, we'll give you eight Buccaneer passes on the house. I'll give you a hundred because they're worth nothing to me, right? Hmm. I mean, th- think about the genius of that. Yeah, I, I, I love that they're doing that because I think there is with everybody with everybody either cost on giving them a wearable that they can put on their wrist when they're in an amusement park. But like, if you're a coffee shop, you're almost guaranteed everybody you pay coming for in the wristband. Yeah, oh, for sure. But if you're, but you right. could even yeah. you, even for cheap, you know, like you, if you're a coffee shop, it's almost guaranteed every customer coming in there's going to have a smartphone, and if they want the incentive, the perk, they just need an app. Um, and that's this is going to be huge. Being able to companies be able to transition these to these kind of incentives that cost less. But I keep coming back to your particular situation, and the things I could think of would be like access to documentation or source or something that would be sort of almost kind of gimmicky in a way too. Well, I, there's got to be something, right? Because, you know, somebody's saying in the chat, well, I think the goal should be fixed the issue. Well, sometimes the issue is like, you know, the iTunes Connect service is down and it won't be up for till tomorrow. So we can't do the deployment for you. It might be nice to make the customer feel better by giving them something that doesn't actually cost me anything. You know, because we would like a world where all our customers are super educated on our dependencies on Apple or whatever. But the truth <laughs> is that's not the case. <laughs> right. Uh, that, that's just... That is just not reality. No. And, you know, if iTunes is down or Heroku is down or, you know, whatever, whatever dependency they happen to have or we have on, on their behalf, um, that is still effectively a late deployment on our part. And, you know, I or someone else has to call and hopefully the guy or gal is not crazy. Yeah, app, app gets rejected. Uh, sorry about that. We'll get it fixed. Here's a, here's a Buccaneer pass. 
yeah, well, app gets rejected is usually uh, DEFCON 17, but uh, I don't know. I mean, we can get off of this because I, I really spent like the rest of the weekend trying to think about what this would look like. And I think the problem is, and, and you've stated it pretty well, that the development consulting business is basically a time and materials sort of industry. Mm. So anything I would give would effectively cost something, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's there's no... I was trying to like, even if it was access to like uh, an intranet where you have it, material on there for a customer or something like uh, how to's helps guides and things like that, uh, this gets you going to generate more questions and requests, which will eventually lead to more time. And it takes time to set it all up. I, I like Aikshin's uh, idea. Give them a buck and your gigapet. So like a Tamagotchi sort of thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> remember Tamagotchi? It's There's a back. winner. <laughs> There's a winner. Here's, Here's a Tamagotchi. Here's what you could do. And you just ro- rotate through the different promo codes so it'll work for a little while. No, I don't do that. <laughs> but use our promo code, CoderDigital, over at uh, DigitalOcean.com. CoderDigital will give you a $10 credit. And you can, you know what? Here's what you could do for those of you out in the audience. Use that and sign. Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry my app didn't build. Here, use this promo code. It's just for you, Coder Digital, and go spin up a, a droplet. And they'll say, uh, what's a droplet? You say, oh, a droplet, that's computer infrastructure on demand. You want an entire application stack, like the entire like blog application stack or GitLab? Oh, no, you don't want that. You want just the bare Linux box because you, customer, you like to build it from scratch. Well, DigitalOcean has that. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. Pricing plans are only $5 a month. Again, I want you to convey all of this to them. And they got to use that promo code, Coder Digital. I know you know, audience, but this is a give. We're given, they're taken, and we're given. We, we had this idea, we created it, and now we're given. And we're giving you the idea to use the promo code, Coder Digital, handed out like their coupon codes, Coder Digital. They'll sign up an account. They'll build their own infrastructure on DigitalOcean. They'll use tons of different Linux images from Fedora and Debian and CoreOS and FreeBSD and Ubuntu. They'll have data centers they can choose from in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, and India. They'll have a really great interface they can use. And then when they want to write that code, they got an API. They got an API. And you know your customer is going to love that. You know they're writing code. And you know they're going to be like, hey, I got this thing over here in Ruby. I love Ruby because it's so beautiful. And I wanted to control my droplet with it. Guess what? Boom. It's already written for you. Plug it in. That's what they're going to do when they use the promo code Coder Digital. So just go to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code Coder Digital. They got all SSD drives. They got super fast connections. They got private networking. I'm telling you guys, you're going to love it. At DigitalOcean.com, use our promo code Coder Digital, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. You ready to tell us about your uh, book pick this week? It's been a it's been a little while since we've had one. Well, I, I was going to hit our next topic real quick. Oh, do we have? Jeez, holy smokes! Jeez, you know this is yeah. when you're perched over the weekend, ready to to spring into action. So this is the one that. Uh, has been a long time coming. Okay. I have been I have been taking something of an online course on sales. For, <laughs> Is that uh, your yeah. life or do you mean an actual class? I've been taking a very hard 20 uh, something year course on sales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, this is an actual class. It um you know they talk about have you heard of this value-based pricing this concept or is that foreign? No, is that something that's in the vernacular? Or is, no, I, that might, it? Well, it sounds like an East Coast thing. I mean, we might have a West Coast equivalent if you tell me what it is. It's actually a California thing. Uh, uh, I don't think so. No. Oh, I think so. I think so, buddy. I think but you guys we... just call stuff from California, but it's really from Colorado. Well, it's pretty stupid. So <laughs> I think it's from – maybe it's from Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyways. Uh, so, you know, if you were to ask me, like, how much is an app, I might say, uh, you get started for, like, $20,000, right? I, I would probably just make up a number based on what I think you can pay. Ooh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> All right, make a note to editor. Well, to- don't worry. That'll totally be edited out. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Value-based pricing is kind of super sneaky. And the idea here is that, like, software development, web development has been commoditized. To the point where you can get a website for like 100 bucks, which is true. You can totally go to Squarespace. They're crap. Have fun. They suck. Um, they are never going to sponsor this show. <laughs> nope. Took care of that. Boom. Boom. Value-based pricing would reverse that question. Somebody said, hey, how much it costs to do my website? You'd say, hey, how much money you think you're going to generate on it? And you kind of – there's a whole like manipulative process of walking them down the path. But basically, the point is to get the idiot to tell you Oh, well, get him to brag, right? You're trying to get the guy to brag and say, oh, well, if I had a good website, I'd close, you know, another $100,000 of business in the first six months. 
which I can tell you right now, and this may be an East Coast thing, people lie about revenue all the time. I mean, all the time. People don't talk about revenue on the West Coast. Yeah, they lie on the East Coast. But then when you actually have to charge them for something, they uh, they all of a sudden have no money. It's, 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 it's the damnedest thing. That happens I mean, over here too. Yeah, that happens yeah, over here. It's kind of amazing. So I, it really, so the idea with value-based pricing really is trying to suss out what the client thinks it's worth and charging them that, not what it's actually worth, right? Well, so the idea is to charge them a factor of that, right? So let, let's take my uh, fictional guy. Let's call him Joe. Let's say that I'm sitting with Joe at a bar, as I'm known to do, and trying to close the sale or whatever. Joe Biden, right? You know what? Let's make it Joe Biden. Okay. Joe Biden wants a, a website for his new railroad line he wants to open when he's done being vice president. Of Loves trains. The man is a big fan of trains. All right. He writes poems about trains. He's just just a real solid fan. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a lot of people to touch on the train. Oh, wow. Um. Anyway, so I said, Joe, how much? Uh, how many ticket sales do you think you might generate in profit in terms of this? Uh, you know, this new web portal we're going to do for you. Joe Biden might say $100,000 in six months. Mm, okay. All right, Joe. So every six months, you're going to generate $100,000. Well, we're going to charge you $60,000 for the site. And Joe went, well, hang on. Well, well Joe, you'll, you'll make a profit in six months of $40,000. Now, that sounds interesting, right? That is the and, – and that is obviously a very trivial, very basic – sort of, you know, brought down to its minimal concept of value-based pricing. But here, here's the problem with that. One, people lie constantly, in my experience. I mean, but you, Joe Biden might say, I'm going to make $100,000 in six months, and he might make $4,000 in six months. Um, if Joe Biden thinks a website should cost $4,000, it doesn't matter how much he's going to make because he's still going to want to pay $4,000 most of the time, right? Are you with me so far? Yeah, man. I actually I, – I follow. Okay. Uh, I've, kind of got a, I've got a rough visual up on the screen to help kind of show the difference between cost-based pricing and value-based pricing. Right. And, and to be clear, I am – I am pretty much on the cost-based pricing side. This is, and cost-based pricing is a term that never existed until people started pushing value-based pricing. Uh, cost-based pricing simply says, we have a bill rate of X. This will take Y hours. The price is X times Y. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. That sounds so, you know, when you say, I mean, I, I'll let you finish. But when you say that, it sounds so it's like an old way of doing it. What does? Uh, cost-based? Yeah. The traditional way? Yeah. It is an old way. No, no. This is the way people have been doing consulting and any kind of like really building business for, you know, thousands or hundreds of years at least, right? Yeah. The new, the new value – see, the, the, the problem with value-based pricing though is that it requires you to somehow have some intangible value against your competitors that this person wants. So let's take Joe Biden again. Joe, wake up. Joe. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. All right. For whatever reason, I'm sitting at the bar with Joe, and Joe is either unaware that other people could make him a website or for some reason really wants to work with me. Because if I were to, in the real world, tell Joe Biden, it's going to be – although you know, the Obama administration and building websites at a reasonable price is probably <laughs> not – Oh, man. Right this, just, not. this just keeps paying off. It's just, oh, that's, I mean that's a contract that you just retire. I mean you're, you're good forever. Um all right, Joe. So sixty grand. He's like, that's great, but the dude down the street said it was like twenty, and he's billing me at you know. Well, let's be real. Hundred dollars an hour. You know, you're you're. This is too black and white. You you need to you yeah. need to dial it back. You're gonna here's Let's dial it back. <clears throat> really, because it's not going to be. You're going to suss out. What you're going to do is you're going to suss out what he's willing to pay, and then you're going to figure out what you think the max is, and you might even, depending on how much you want the client, ask for a little less than that. And if you don't want the client that much, you ask for a little more than that. And, you know, when I hear you say this, I realize something. Um, I think I think what you what you did is you, you've helped illustrate the switch I made when I went from full-time IT contracting to full-time podcasting. Because okay. if you think about advertising, there is simply no way 
for me to do a cost-based pricing to my sponsors. I can't I can't figure out what the with the two minutes of time Encoder Radio is worth yeah. uh, every single week out of the year, um, and then and then break down a cost based on those minutes, and then charge them that—that's impossible. I have to take and assess the value of the type of audience we have, and and the amount that we have in that area, how valuable that is to that company, and I have to kind of have an idea. And this is why I pick sponsors that I really like and use because I understand how their business works, and I kind of. I kind of I observe them for a while and I get an idea of what kind of money they seem to have on 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 marketing and what kind of you know projects they're working on and then I know then I I essentially I I watch them for a while because I've used them and I get a sense if they're actually capable of doing this thing and what that thing is worth to them in this case sponsorship and then I I when they say how much does it cost I look at the numbers of a show currently. I figure out what the standard average of the of the industry cost is for that, and then I figure out how much they're willing to pay. And then I base on a formula: oh, how how much do I want them? How little do I? You know, what is that formula? What is my what is my incentive? What do I have? I been begging them to come on me. Like in the case of IX, I just like you guys would be a great sponsor. You got to come on. And other sponsors, they've come to me and said we'd love to be a sponsor. And then I can then I negotiate at a slightly higher rate typically in those scenarios. Because they've approached me, but in the ones where I've seeked them out, they typically get a lower price because I, you know, I figure that out, and I have to do value-based pricing because what I'm selling is ethereal. It's a it's a weekly podcast that hasn't even been created yet. How could I possibly associate a cost-based price with that? All right, so I, I think there's a couple flaws uh, in, in kind of the analogy you're making. One, let, let's say I were to take an ad on Jupiter Broadcasting, right? And in fact. Before we even did the show, Chris, I almost took an ad on a different network. <gasps> dun, dun, and dun, I didn't scandal. I didn't I didn't do it because it was pretty clear to me that the ROI wasn't gonna be there. But well let me ask you this. Every every ad we have has a promo code, right? Well no, I mean mm. No, uh, because uh, Linux Academy is a is a URL. You got to go to slash coders. Yeah, but they can track the imprint. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's how they track you. But if you don't go to that URL, right. they have no idea if we sent you or not. They just they, but they have other metrics they kind of use based but that, on that. That works. There are real metrics there yeah. where you, where they can or see the, or the promo code. Yep, you use that mm-hmm. if they're like so for DigitalOcean when you enter that promo code, it tracks. And I, I would imagine it's probably 20% that actually remember to use our promo codes or our URLs too, which is kind of a shame, but it's still enough. Yeah. And so, it may, so, by the way, it means if you do use them, you are really doing us a favor because only a small percentage actually do. That's just throwing money away if you're not using them. But And, and I know. And I feel like 20% is actually extremely high. I think it's much really? more. Yeah. Much more. See, my thing, if you take and, – and I totally agree. Like the way you're selling ads is value-based pricing. But – you know the numbers exist. You you know directly. In fact, you have a conservative estimate. If people are forgetting the promo code, you know how many people did sign up for Do in the last six months? Uh, or we've been running the ad longer than that, actually. But mm-hmm. however long we've been running the Do uh, advertisements, how many people signed up? With development, with consulting, there's no way to say. You know, for for Joe's train line here, that the new website will bring him this money. Right. There, there is no way to say that. The other thing is I'm still willing to bet that your prices for ads are not radically higher than uh, competing podcast networks. No. And we also don't have 20 staff members. So I don't – you know, it's – we're, we're, well, a, scrappy, we're right, a scrappy right, competitive right. little uh, you know, podcast network that talks about crazy things like Linux and open source. And, and we bitch about you know, me being a curmudgeon all day long. <laughs> I I just all right. I mean, it's totally cool that we disagree, and I, I think it's good because I, I'm. I think you know, gotta terms, go value based pricing, and I think it I work- don't understand. Okay, so how would it work? So, so, your gut, so let's you go use back your to gut. you use your gut. You suss out the client, and you figure Is out what that they. Really, that's not really value based pricing. That's me. That's what I already do. I look at the guy. You know, I have a minimum that we could charge for this deal, and I have a maximum that I would like to get. And you know, depending on how much of a 
honestly how much of a support cost there's going to be for this contract, I decide how far I'm willing to negotiate towards that minimum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that it's, it's not value-based pricing, or is that like basic negotiation? I think it's a blend. I think it's a very I, again. See, I think you were being kind of black and white in the, in the original description. I okay. think it's. A, I think it is a blend. I think you know what your basement cost is because there is a practical cost of your time and the work you'd have to do in some cases, equipment you'd have to acquire, like we talked about earlier. So you know what your basement cost is, but then you also know as a savvy business person, if you could get somebody to spend more for a product, you're going to charge them more for it. So I think I that's I mean, that's a, I think that's pretty standard. That's obviously true. And, and I feel like maybe I'm not doing the value-based people justice because it just it just sounds super snake-oily to me. It well, sounds, yeah, if you go all in where you figure out what they're making and you – and right. there's definitely like, some industries where that's the, their approach. You know, I've uh, I have been involved in. Uh, I don't know if you've have you. You know, there is a really weird thing in corporate IT that is very snake oily. It used to be even worse, and it was these. It was the ginormous like multifunction Xerox printers that like do everything, and and it's the big network man. printer that everybody goes to. And when that when that gentleman came in, and the a couple of different clients that I was at to sell. He very much gets involved with how much you guys are making, how much are you spending on this, what are you spending on this, and he gets all that in there. And then he, when he starts the hard sell, he has those numbers, and he, you know, he's well, you know, you'll be saving a thousand dollars every six months on paper by doing this, and you'll save three hundred dollars a month on toner. And he, you know, he has all of this stuff that he he works in to get them to buy this piece of equipment that they they make a payment on for 5 years and it includes a contract where he shows up and you know they have to buy accessories and parts and it feels very scammy and it very much is a he figures out how much the client's willing to pay and then gets them to sign on a dotted well, line. You know, I, you know I'm in the market for a CRM and and that's Every sales guy for any of these CRM, and I don't want to get too much into this, but any of these CRM companies, well, how much is a lead worth to you? And I'm like, virtually nothing because we only close, you know, some, we're, we're tiny. We only, people don't close either because we don't want them to close, right? We think they're high risk, like you're an individual. Like, I won't close anybody who I think is cracking open their 401k because I think that's a bad idea. Um but that's exactly what they try to do, Chris. They try to say, well, do you think you miss any because like, you forget to follow up or you know, the Excel sheets you're using don't work? Or, And they try to like quantify that. But doesn't that seem – all right, we should move on. I, I think it's sleazy. I think it's kind of crap. Like your CRM or whatever software you're selling has an inherent value. I'd like to hear from somebody out there who is doing their, in their more gray area in the middle – uh, right, which can, I think right. you're more in the middle than you realize. But before we go, we should probably mention you had a uh, you had a book pick, the book Weapons pick of Math Destruction, which is uh, looks pretty cool. Are there for everyone to see? Yes. So, uh, how big data increases inequality and threatens democracy? Damn, son, that sounds like light reading on the vacation. That's linked to the uh, show notes. Yeah, you should all read it and uh, be horrified. And by the way, next time your insurance rates go up and you don't know why. Check your credit report. Oh, all right. Okay, yeah. very good. And then, uh, without further ado, I've been waiting all episode. We have a coding challenge. Oh, you know, I had to do music. Come on. All right. So tell me about this challenge. Promises, promises. All right. So I spent uh, some time Sunday doing a little bit of ionic development. And as I do with all my projects, I promptly killed the project <laughs> <laughs> Monday morning. Yeah. But I did. I did because it was Greenfield, Chris. It was so hot. It was file new. In fact, I, I think I even did like make deer. It was amazing. <laughs> I got to use modern uh, ECMAScript syntax, which means I got to use promises. It was beautiful. I don't know how Holy familiar you are. Crap. It, it was a, oh, sorry, sorry, but I didn't even no, mean to set it, it off. <laughs> it was a revelation. So oh, good. Cleaner. Well, then it was appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been in like old Java jQuery hell for so long that it, it, I'm like, oh, this is readable and makes sense. And oh. I didn't have to import 14 libraries to do Ooh, this. That does sound nice. Doesn't hurt the brains, I mean, as Token Ring says. Yeah. And, and, you know, no IE support. But um, no, it no. does now. Oh, So I'm, I'm going to make these coding challenges. Now, they're not going to be an every week thing because it's just too much work for me. Oh, yeah. But this one, make anything you like that uses a JavaScript promise in a cool slash unique way. Uh, there's a couple requirements because, again, busy. You have to send me the source code as a reply to this. 
on as either a public gist or a GitHub repo link, and and this refers to the Reddit link that's in the show notes. Um, you must provide a one to two command, i.e., on Bash, read me for me to run the submission. So basically, I have to be able to run whatever the output is, right? Whether it's text, whether it's graphics or web web thing, whatever. I have to be able to run it in two commands that you document in a readme file. If I cannot run it, you are disqualified. Because, again, can't be hunting down dependencies here. This is a JavaScript challenge. It should be in JavaScript. Oh. Okay? Let's get that right. Not CoffeeScript, not TypeScript, not Dart, not Chris Fisher script. No, that's what I was just going to ask. Oh. Oh. That's it. The winner gets a mug if Angela doesn't, you know, die from taking shots on her birthday. And... Mazel and, and maybe if I remember, and we still have enough, we could throw in a last super key too. We have uh, white and black super keys. If you get a Linux Action Show sticker for the month of November, we're including the the, the two versions, a black and a white one, that go over the Windows logo, and it looks really cool. I hope Noah grabs some before he left. I think he meant to, and I if, I'll try to get her to throw uh, th- throw a couple in for our winner too, because that could be pretty cool. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's in the subreddit. So people got to go uh, – you can go go to Coda Radio episode 232 and look in the show notes and you'll find a link to this or just go to CodaRadio.reddit.com, which is – let me see. I'm dialing in right now. Listen, I'm dialing in. You hear that? That's me dialing in the nice. subreddit right now. Nice. Yeah, I was dialing it in. Uh, CodaRadio.reddit.com. You can also submit other stories there and topics. If there's something you would like to hear us talk about this week, that's a good place to stick it in there because Mike and I check that from time to time. And Mike, speaking of you checking stuff – where can people find you on the Twitters? Uh, they can find me at Dumanuka. Mm, very good. Clever. Clever. I like how you did that. I Not not so clever. At Chris LAS. I don't know. At Chris LAS. That's me. The, the network is at Jupiter Signal. And don't forget you can join us live on Mondays over at jblive.tv. We do it at noon Pacific. But you can get it converted to your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And then watch it all at jblive.tv for the video and jblive.fm for the audio if you want to stream it while you're on the go or just save bandwidth. It's pretty nice. And last but not least, you can email the show. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Coda Radio from the dropdown. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. And we'll see you right back here next week. Get it out of here. Holy crap.